1: Jesus came on purpose for a very clear purpose. Now that name that we have there in Matthew one twenty one is a familiar name. It's the name Yeshua. It means Yahweh
0: is salvation. Welcome to the Barnabas Effect
1: All names. Now we all recognize there are meanings behind our names. For example, all of my life I grew up hearing that my dad was named after two cartoon characters. His name is Donald Chester Purvis. And of course, I had heard of Donald Duck, and that's not very far-fetched, but he, all of my life, told me he was named after Chester Goop. I had never heard of Chester Goop, but thanks to the internet, I have verified there is a Chester Goop. He was a cartoon character. My dad, I don't think, ever looked like that, but I will take his word. He was named after Donald Duck and Chester Goop. My big brother, Rocky, is nine years older than me. Now, he is Donald Chester Purvis Jr., Now, so he was given that name as Junior, but all of my life and all of his life, he's been known as Rocky. He's not quite uh, young enough to be named after Rocky Balboa in the Sylvester Stallone movies, but uh, I have always been told that when he was about one year old, our granddaddy dropped him on his head, (laughs) and because his hard head bounced and he didn't get hurt, they named him Rocky. I don't know if that's true. But that's what we've gone with. I remember as a child looking up the meaning behind the name Paul. And I was kind of let down when I did that because Paul just simply means little. And so that was not real exciting for me. I do know as a child I was taught by my parents that I was named after Paul in the Bible. And as I've grown and studied scripture, I understand that that Paul lived his life to become little So that Jesus might be big in him. So that would be my desire too, that I might be little, so that Jesus might be big in me. Well, we've been talking about the different names of Jesus, and there's no way we could cover all of the names or the descriptors or the the titles, but we're hitting some of the highlights. For example, we, we... talked about the promised names of Jesus. Jesus is our wonderful counselor. He's our mighty God. He's our everlasting father. He's our prince of peace. That means in his divinity and his humanity, he gives us the guidance and the wisdom we need. He gives us the strength and the power we need. He gives us the unconditional love and acceptance we need. And he gives us the calm assurance we need to make it through life. Aren't you grateful that we have those promised names of Jesus? But then we talked about that Jesus is also a name of great presence. He is our with us God. Say this with me. Say God is with me. He is. He is Emmanuel. He is the God who is with us. That means if you are a child of God, if you have been adopted into the family of God, if you are a son or daughter of God, that means when you begin a lifelong relationship with Jesus, he gives you this guarantee. I will never, no, never, not ever leave you or forsake you. He is the with you God. That means on your good days, he's with you. On your bad days, he's with you. On your happy days, he's with you. You on your sad days, He's with you. When you don't know how you're gonna keep going, He is with you because He's Emmanuel, the with you God. Then we saw that Jesus' name proclaims the truth of the gospel and the power of His grace. He is the Word, the name of proclamation. And we remember that we're challenged to proclaim the truth of the gospel and the power of God's grace. I would just ask you, we're zeroing in on Christmas day this year. Have you been taking advantage of the opportunity to be a witness of the word in your little corner of the world? Say, how do I do that? Well, let me just give you three examples. You could do what me and some of the men of the Purvis Pack did yesterday. You still have time. We went around to several hundred doors and we didn't even knock on the doors. We just put these little plastic bags, door hangers on these doors. They have a copy of the Jesus DVD. They have some information from our church and an invitation to join us on Christmas Eve. Now those will be outdated by tomorrow. But if you still want to just hit your neighborhood, we're not handing out any more maps or anything, but if you want to hit your neighborhood, you can just go over to the FLC right after this service, pick up as many bags as you want, and you can go after it. You could do that. You could also just be a witness by inviting people to our Christmas Eve services. I'm really excited about what we're going to do. We're going to sing more carols just like we've just done this morning. We're going to hear some of the old secular Christmas songs that kind of make us smile. We're going to laugh a little bit because there's going to be some funny visits from some characters that you might recognize. We're going to hear the Christmas story, even see that acted out by some boys and girls. In addition to that, you're going to hear the message of hope of why Jesus came. It's going to be a great time. That's at four and eight o'clock right here on this campus. There's a six. o'clock service at our six mile campus a six o'clock service at our Lake Carroll campus and then there's 11 p.m different service that is a candlelight communion really designed for Christ followers who just want to usher in Christmas day in his presence so there's all kind of opportunities for you to invite people to come and to be a part of what we're doing I think we even have some invitations we can put in your hands as you leave today but then you can simply share your story just look around your little corner and, and find somebody that might be willing to hear what Christmas means to you. I'm overwhelmed with the reality that a lot of professing Christ followers fly through the Christmas seasons as if we don't really understand what it's all about. And we're going to spend time focusing on that even today. There's all kind of ways you can be proclaimers of the word. But today, as we look at the most common name of the Christ child, We see the purpose of Christmas, the purpose of Christmas. And today, would you just do me a favor? In honor of the reading of God's word, would you just stand as we read this together? Matthew chapter one, beginning in verse 18. This is the word of God from Matthew's gospel. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when the mother, his mother, Mary, had been betrothed or engaged to Joseph before they came together, before they had experienced the physical union, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Hey, let me just stop right there and say, If you would just open your ears before you walk down a path that's gonna lead you in a way you should not go, I promise you the Holy Spirit of God would speak into your heart and your mind and give you some guidance that would keep you from taking those steps he doesn't want you to take. That's what happened in this story. That's not our focus today, but I needed to just give you that as a bonus. Because Joseph listened to what the angel was saying. Listen to what the angel said. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then look at verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name, let's say it together, Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This is from Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, in the name of your son Jesus, We ask you, speak that we might hear. Give us open ears and mind. Give us a willing heart so that we might receive. For that person who's in this room or listening to this message, God, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation if they do not yet know you. God, may we see that you are a God who came on purpose to this world so that you might give us purpose in this world. Lord, I pray that the words I say and even my thoughts would be pleasing to you in these next few moments in the name of Jesus, amen. You can be seated. If we have questions about why Jesus came, if we contemplate what Christmas is all about, if we ever wonder if we really need a God, then Matthew chapter one, verse 21, answer that question. Look at it again. And she will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came on purpose for a very clear purpose. Now that name that we have there in Matthew one twenty one is a familiar name. It's the name Yeshua. It means Yahweh is salvation. God saves. Joseph would have been familiar with that name. That was a common name. That's kind of hard for us to understand in an American culture, but in our church, it's probably not because we have people every time we gather from around 50 different countries and a lot of countries of the world still today. Jesus is a common name. I was in a store last night and I was talking to the person that was helping me and another person came up because they recognized me. I'd been in the store a little too much, I suppose. They said, aren't you so? I said, yes, I'm such and such. And so uh, they said, hey, did did you meet my friend? They said, yeah, his name's Javi. They said, that's not his real name. And the guy kind of was trying to shut him up, and and he held up his badge. And he said, yeah, see, it has Javi on here. He said, no, that's not his real name. His real name is Jesus. (laughs) He said, he's a pastor. You can tell him that. His name is Jesus. (laughs) Joseph would have found that as a common name. But what was uncommon was what the angel said to him, which is this Jesus
0: will save his people from their sins. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. This Jesus is a God who saves.
1: It doesn't say our God empathizes, though he does. It doesn't say he cares or listens or helps, though he does. It it doesn't say he assists us or applauds us, though he does. It says our God saves. Oh, God is more than our Savior, but he's never less than our Savior. Our God saves And the purpose of the presence of Jesus in this world is very clearly to offer mankind the salvation that we need. If you wonder what this time of year, this holiday is all about, please understand that the purpose of the presence of Jesus in this world is to offer mankind the salvation we need. Now, Matthew is not the only one who records this. Luke, in that most familiar account of the Christmas story, gives us a similar description by not one angel, but by a host of angels to the shepherds. Listen to Luke two, verse eight. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Well, why do we need a savior? That's a good place to start. Why do we need a savior? Well, sometimes we need to be saved from self, right? (laughs) Have you ever heard that at a party? Perhaps somebody has gone a little crazy and one of their friends says, somebody save him from himself. Save her from herself. Sometimes we need to be saved from ourselves. We can't help ourselves, we say. We need to be saved from ourselves. Sometimes we need to be saved from someone, from somebody else. So again, maybe you're at a social gathering and you're looking over there and you go, Oh, no. somebody get over there and save him. What they're saying is they're in an awkward situation and and someone else is just making this a difficult moment. Sometimes we need to be saved from self. Sometimes we need to be saved from someone else. Sometimes we need to be saved from a situation. And every one of us can relate to that. Maybe it's a situation that's riddled us with physical illness or a situation that's relational in nature or a situation that's overbearing because of the financial pain that we're in and, and we're just being weighed down upon from the circumstances of life. And so we say things like this. When people say, how are you doing? We say, I'm okay under the circumstances. We've let ourselves get up under the circumstances of life, and it's weighing us down, and we feel like we need to be saved from these things, and all of these things are, may be true. Sometimes we need to be saved from self. Sometimes we need to be saved from some others. Sometimes we need to be saved from situations, but our greatest need for salvation is described in the message from the angel, and our greatest need of salvation is to be saved from our sins. I want you to understand something from Scripture. According to the Bible, you are a sinner. Merry Christmas. (laughs) That's what the Bible says of you and me. In fact, there's a verse that leaves no mistake about who that includes. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I want you to understand what scripture teaches. You are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. Now you may not understand what I'm saying there, but what I'm trying to help you understand, no matter how good you try, no matter how great you think your record is, you are a sinner. Not because of what you've done, but because what was done to you long before you ever existed. Bible says in the Garden of Eden, God created what really I believe heaven is going to be like. See, we think of heaven with gold streets and pearly gates and wings that we fly around on. When the Bible describes heaven, it it describes really a perfect earth. It, It describes great gardens and Wonderful waterfalls and and the beauty, really, of what we believe Eden was. Because in Eden, God had created all that was. And he said, oh, this is good. Then he created man and woman. He said, oh, this is very good. And they had this perfect existence where they celebrated and worshipped and walked with God. Like my mom's favorite hymn. And he walked with me and he talked with me and he told me I was his own. That hymn in the garden describes what it was like. But then sin entered the world. And our great grandparents, Adam and Eve, sinned. And because they did make a wrong choice, they did disobey God. They did do something that God said, don't do. The Bible teaches that we in Adam have been marred or marked with that same sin nature. We are born now sinners. We can't help ourselves. No matter how good we try, we're going to sin because we have a nature or a propensity to sin. That's who you are. We had a crazy storm earlier this week, didn't we? Let me just tell you what a crazy storm does in my house. It winds up my crazy dog. I've got a crazy dog, and I love animals, and that's the only reason I still have a crazy dog. But when the storms come, he goes... Bazooka! I mean, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I mean, he's crazy. He's like scratching on things. He's trying to get outside. He's trying to get inside. He just moves around consistently and constantly. He barks, he moans, he groans. Why does he do this? Because it's in his nature. He's a dog. Some of the things he does, now your dog's not as crazy. Don't send me notes or write something in the offering plate about how to help my dog. But some of what he does, he does because he's a dog. It's his nature. You and I are sinners. That's our nature. It's the fallen way in which we were born. And so we need to be saved from sin. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. That word that's used there is the word homartia. It's a common name for sin in the New Testament. It means to miss the mark. But I feel like even those of us who've known that may have misunderstood what scripture is trying to communicate because we think of a target that we're aiming for and we may miss the bullseye, but we get on the target and we feel okay about ourselves. That's not what this missing the mark is describing. It's describing a setting in which God has given us a standard, and we have completely missed the standard. We haven't even hit the target. We're not coming close, and he is not pleased. He, he's never going to say, well, you did pretty good. He's never going to say, you've got see, and that's average. He's never going to say, well, you are right. You tried your best. That's not what the Bible teaches about sin. Sin causes us to miss God's standard, and as a result of that, we have the consequences of sin in our life and what does sin do well sin shackles us and so we may experience addictions we have hurts and habits and hang-ups that keep us from God's best keep us from experiencing the kind of life and the fulfillment that Jesus wants us to experience and we do things we don't want to do we feel chained to our sin and then as a result sin shames us Because particularly if we've got this relationship with God, we recognize this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not what it should be like. And we're embarrassed. We feel dirty. We feel guilty. Sin shames us. The truth is sin may even sicken us because there are consequences on this side of heaven to sin. We may become physically ill by some of our sin, but it may even just cause us to be sickened in other ways. But I want you to understand the greatest problem of sin sin separates us from God. Remember that perfect garden experience I described to you? What happened when sin entered the garden? That relationship that Adam and Eve had with God was changed. No longer could they walk around in their birthday suits and not be ashamed. No longer could they freely commune with God as they always had. No longer could they stay in the garden. See, when sin entered the world, it separated us from God. Our relationship with him changed. And so that's why it's very important for you to understand, though it may especially not be popular at Christmas, no one on this planet is born a child of God. It's not okay, though it sounds good, to sing and to say that we're all God's children. We are not, if Scripture is true. We are born separated from God. We are born apart from from His relationship with Him. Sin has done that to us. It's so important. It reminds us of what we're saved from. We're saved from forever separation with God. Don't miss this. we probably misunderstood this most of our lives even some of you that have grown up in church you you felt like I was saved from hell or I was saved to heaven those are true realities if you're a follower of Jesus Christ but your greatest need was not to not be punished or your greatest need was not to figure out to get to heaven God didn't have to create a map to show you how to get to heaven. Your greatest need was separation from the one you were created to be united with. Your greatest need was the inability to worship the one you were made to worship. Your greatest need was your failure to give glory to the one that you were created solely to give glory to. And all of those needs are created by the problem of sin. And if you don't understand that, I would dare say you've misunderstood what salvation means. And you may be a decent person. You may be a church member. Good night. You may be a church leader. But if you haven't understand the danger of the separation of sin, it's hard for me to understand, according to Scripture, that you are a saved child of God. Because that is core to what it means to experience salvation. The greatest gain of our salvation is not that we escape hell or get a ticket to heaven. The most significant of many benefits that come from trusting Jesus is the restoration of a personal relationship with God. Understand that, dear friend. That's what we celebrate That's why this is so much more important than just a sweet story about a little baby in a manger. That's why it's great to sing these carols and to worship Jesus on Christmas Eve and the days around this holiday. But it's also why we must recognize that he desires our worship and our glory and our honor and our praise 365 days of every year. Our greatest need was not to be punished or or to have a place to go. Our greatest need was and is relationship. And that's why the angel described what Jesus would do as saving us from our sins. Jesus is a savior.
0: You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. An outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at MissionHillChurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement, but it can't be done without your financial support. Go to MissionHillChurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at MissionHillChurch.com. And join us next Sunday at noon for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, AM 570 and 910.